Hello, and welcome to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections. Uh, I'm Colin. I'm Eric. I'm Matt. I'm Jason. And this is Mark. And uh, we are unfortunately missing Ben today. And our uh, go-to guy, Andrew, insert director's name, Miller, <laughs> could not make it today. Um, however, we're still going to have a really fun podcast. So today, we are talking about... Two movies instead of one. We thought we'd do something very special for our 10th episode. So we're going to go with Alien and Aliens. Big deal. How do you do that? Well, here's how we're going to do it. Buckle up. (laughs) (laughs) The excitement is palpable. (laughs) How did you say you want to do this? You want to do Alien, then Aliens, and then we're going to compare and contrast? Yeah. Okay. I think it's a good one. So yeah, we're going to start with uh, <laughs> Alien, but before we get into this iconic titan of a franchise, we're going to start with the news. We got to stop doing that. Anyways. Uh, <laughs> falling off the rails. Um, <laughs> so uh, first I wanted to bring up this... Uh, new show by HBO that's coming out in October. Um, it's called Westworld, which is actually... Western uh, World? What? Western <laughs> World. Western West. Wild, wild, Westworld. Wild, wild, world. It's actually uh, based on a 1973 Michael Crichton film, which followed a rogue android in a futuristic Western-themed amusement park. I mean, Michael Crichton likes his amusement parks with weird shit. Yeah. Um, where the guests, the guests it's a good of... theme because humans love to be entertained. This is true. <laughs> Who started that movie? Uh, the original one? Yeah. Uh, I think that was Yul Brenner was in it. Oh, shit. Ooh. I'll have to Ooh. double check that. Steve McQueen? Steve McQueen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but no, th- this actually has some big names attached to this project. J.J. Uh, Abrams is an executive producer, as well as Jonathan Nolan, who's also the showrunner, and uh, Lisa Joy. Um... It's actually a really phenomenal group of people there to yeah. produce that a show. That my interest. So, and on top of that, they have an amazing cast, I think. Anthony Hopkins? Uh, yeah. <sighs> Anthony Sir. Hopkins. Sir, Sir Anthony, Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins. Right, not Sir Ed Let's, Harris. Well, we don't do that <laughs> stuff in this country. Mr. Ed Harris. Um, <laughs> Evan Rachel Wood, uh, Thandie Newton, and James Marsden were just some of the others that... Uh, Around the bill, so I, I'm actually really excited for this. Yeah, I, the trailer looks great. Right. Yeah, you know what? the trailer I, looks phenomenal. You never really thought that Western and sci-fi should go together, but ever since Cowboys and Aliens, I'm full on all about it. It's an amazing. Next movie. Did you really not go to Firefly? <laughs> <laughs> all right, <laughs> you're hurting me, Colin. You're hurting slap, me. Slap my hand. Slap my wrist. <laughs> ah, all right. Well, yeah. What I saw of the, uh, you know, the the trailer. It looked like an interesting kind of mix of elements. It's mm-hmm. a cool juxtaposition because I had to watch it twice before I really realized like kind of what was going on. Um, I don't know if it'd be a spoiler alert to say what they are. You can't really spoil a uh, yeah trailer. A trailer. <laughs> well, I didn't catch it. I didn't catch that they're actually robots. Um. Really? Yeah. They basically 
Did you catch that? These are these are artificial beings. Because you you like you understand that they are artificial, and then by the end you start seeing the robot parts. Yeah, like, I thought it was like some type of simulation. There was that like, was my first thought, yes. and then by the end of the and trailer, you, like, no, you see the elements. There was like a oh. clip where they were pulling the like the yeah, I saw that, and you see like the robot hand at one point, yeah, rip. What? So what did you say? You're hoping to say is actually just a, a documentary, about... documentary of Ed Harris's yeah. um, life, daily life. That would actually be fantastic. Except he doesn't know they're following him. Right, he's just living he's just in this going world. about his, his thing. <laughs> he's just being Ed Harris, you know, being a cowboy, shooting robots, you know, just his normal stuff. <laughs> I believe it. Uh, that's what um, Ed Harris does. <laughs> so that's all I think we can really say. Well, I'm sure we can say a lot about this upcoming show. But as more details come out and we know more about it, we would definitely update everyone um jason would you like to talk about some more news i would okay so um <laughs> star trek discovery or std, STD. as i'm calling or taken to calling it <laughs> so is the internet um <laughs> so uh basically there was some new information that came out uh it was an article that we uh, sourced from io9 which kind of references the direction they want to go or at least the themes they want to touch on with the new series um basically to kind of summarize the article uh fuller brian fuller which is one of the creative directors i believe he's of the, the showrunner show, the showrunner yeah uh, said that the ship is called discovery for a few reasons not the least of which is stanley cooper's contribution to discovery on 2001 in 2001 space odyssey NASA's vessel, the Discovery, and also a sense of discovery, which is pretty broad. Uh, he also drew a connection between the meaning of the word to fans, adding that part of the title comes from what the word discovery means to Star Trek audiences who have been promised a future by Gene Roddenberry, where we come together as a planet and seek new worlds and new alien races to explore, understand, and collaborate with. Fuller said that they see this whole show as a chance to reinvent, re-explore, and reintroduce the familiar things about Star Trek, especially alien races that audiences would recognize, but also bring a bunch of new ships, aliens, and technology to the Star Trek universe. A lot of that is word for word from io9, but it's word for word from what he right. said. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so kind of interesting um, that they're, you know, still haven't really shown anything from the show, but they're at least talking more about what their plans are. We, I think, have touched on in previous podcasts that Multiple. the, uh, well, we're kind of following it as it's developing it's because a, it's kind of exciting. It's a big deal, thing. yeah. But the main character, what is not going to be a captain, that was kind of a big deal. Uh, it's going to be a female. Yeah. That's so. kind of nice. Um, no, I'm excited. I, I would like to see them not try to just fit this into this pre-existing, you know, Star Trek franchise. Like, break the mold a little bit. Have some fun with it. In order for a Star Trek show to survive on TV nowadays, it has to be exciting and different. And Star Trek isn't exciting and different anymore. So we'll see where that goes. Yep. Um, some other news we have. Uh, Stranger Things Season 2 has been announced. Uh, still don't know where they're going to go with that. We knew it was coming. I think before it was officially announced, everyone knew that, you know, just based off of word of mouth alone and the critical acclaim it was getting. Oh, yeah. Oh, that, you know, that was bound to happen. But <laughs> as we touched on in our last podcast, episode nine, um, I think it's kind of going to be interesting to see where they go with it because now they've established their cast. They kind of have the feel of the show. 
I think the more interesting route to take would be the anthology approach, but I don't think they will. No, probably not. Um, I'm assuming, going to have to assume, that season two will be expanded. So I think it's going to be longer than eight episodes. I think they'll probably go to a 10 to 13 episode season. That would be my um, assumption, or kind of like, uh, you know, um, what I'm uh, projecting for the next one. I just hope that whatever they do, whatever story they want to tell, they keep it as tightly paced as the first season was Mm -hmm. and that they don't get too bogged down like side plots and stuff like that because to me if you can't watch season two like one long 10 hour movie then something got lost in translation between season one and season two yeah i agree hopefully it doesn't go to their heads and they've already got it kind of planned out I, i would hope you know given all the development behind it that they've got season two and season three and you know beyond kind of planned out in terms of where they want to go with it but you know We'll see. I'm excited. Definitely uh, has a lot to live up to now, I think, for all of us. Yeah. Hopefully we don't have to wait too long for it. I mean, at least get it like a, the midsummer release again. I think that'll, that'll be nice. You know those d- damn child actors, they have... Uh... Well, they're going to be like teenagers at that point. Yeah, right? So they can work <laughs> them as long as they want. Yeah. yeah. Um, does anyone else have any other news before I... Uh... Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. All right, so... The Caves of Steel, an amazing Isaac Asimov detective story that Fox has been trying to make into a movie for a while now. They just changed over writers again because it's not up to snuff with what they want. And they decided to go with, and I'm not thrilled with it, the same guy who wrote iRobot, the adaptation of another amazing like set of short stories from Isaac Asimov, and just in my opinion, butchered it. But that's, again, that's my opinion. I didn't care for the adaptation, so I'm not thrilled about it. What would you guys, how do you guys feel about that? Well, that's that's tough. I feel like the iRobot had Will Smith in it. He's got a bunch of clauses in his contract, like there has to be a shot of him doing chin-ups. Um, <laughs> he shouldn't be wearing a shirt for no more than one, you know, one quarter of the movie. If he doesn't reference Converse three times, right, he yeah. breaks his contract. Mm-hmm. He has to hold two guns at all times. Mm. Um, what, if, what if Will Smith is in this uh, this, this movie? Then I would cry. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> it's just it's a really intense like detective story set in this amazing futuristic universe, and I just feel like somebody who I saw turn gritty stories into like a blockbuster it worries me that they're gonna do the same thing that they're just gonna like take this and take all the like things that i loved about it and be like well this doesn't appeal to most people so we're just gonna push this to the side and play up the blockbuster aspect well that's it's fox so yeah they're probably dead anyways (sighs) um i mean i would say just like don't put your hopes on this to be like great but you might be surprised it might be good that's true I mean, um, yeah. That that's my that's my grumpy sci-fi news thing. <laughs> you know, we'll do a segment for grumpy news. Um, <laughs> we just we just bitch and rant about things. I'm upset about that. <laughs> Save that sound clip. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, well, wait. I have I have a little. Be good the details I was looking for literally <laughs> just, aren't out yet. That was what I was struggling with. Um, okay, so 
My one of my favorite podcasts that are that's out right now is called Lore, uh, Ooh. and it just got a, a television show deal, so they uh, are going to produce a show based off the the podcast. Uh, the podcast isn't going anywhere; still updating biweekly. Um, I think they're just going to turn previously made episodes into like full acted out episodes of the show so it's going to be like heavily narrated uh so i'm assuming it's going to be just like a um i don't, I don't know how how exactly they plan to do it but just acting to the narration to kind of give it like a visual background like an interpreter dance yeah or exactly. like a documentary <laughs> um I'm I'm excited though. It's it's a fantastic podcast. I recommend it to everyone that I possibly can. And it's more and super it's great. like more supernatural type stuff. Yeah, it's so um <clears throat> he just he does heavy, heavy research into uh different supernatural events that have happened throughout history and he just talks about them for I mean the podcasts go sometimes like ten to twenty minutes. Okay. Uh it's it's really interesting. He'll just pick a topic and go tell several like historical tales about them that he gets information through manuscripts or like old books things like that it's really interesting I like it a lot cool so yeah I'm Definitely excited for that it's cool that they're getting a show for it yeah um I can't wait till we get a TV deal yeah <laughs> I'm trying to think who would play me though uh <laughs> Michael Fassbender yeah I agree yeah, <laughs> uh alright so I wait you're not Michael Fassbender no You'd think it, but... Mm. We're going to turn this over to our... I don't know if it's going to be a reoccurring thing, but Jason's Gamer Corner. Wait, I'm going to do the sound effect that's in trailers. Wait. <clears throat> I tried. <laughs> we don't have it queued up, but... So, <laughs> you know the sound effect I'm talking about? Uh, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> I tried again. <laughs> it probably sounds really good in your head. <laughs> Yeah. Well, see, because I get the bass yeah. in my head, and it yeah. feels like you know I'm I'm in the the theater. But so two games to talk about briefly. Uh, the first game we touched on a little bit. We've kind of followed it over the course of our last like, three or four podcasts. Um, upon filming or recording the Stranger Things podcast, it had been out for about a week, so it was still kind of new. Um, of course, I'm talking about No Man's Sky. I think Ben, uh, who is not here, to you know. Defend himself or contradict anything. Um, <laughs> I think he's even getting. He he was seemingly you know really enjoying it. I was you know I hadn't really had a lot of time to play it, but I was getting kind of burnt out on even after just you know ten twelve hours of playing it. But in the last month, wow! I mean, talk about a game that was so ridiculously you know hyped, overhyped, whatever you want to argue, and just has become now the bane of you know the gaming uh, sphere. Just it's. Public ire turned against this game so fast when it actually came out. Um, I think like the user base has declined like almost ninety percent from you know the people that were playing it on day one. Um, people demanding refunds on all the major gaming services, you know, from Steam and PlayStation Network and everything else like that. Um, personally, you know, I at one point thought we might do like a whole podcast on No Man's Sky because I, you know, I kind of anticipated it was going to be one thing, you know, part of our, uh, you know, hype that we kind of build and that has been already critiqued, you know, as kind of one of the reasons the game has not really failed because financially I think it did very well, but 
critically, um, and really from the fans now, there's been just such a backlash to it. Um, the game itself, really cool concept, really cool that they kind of proved it could be done, but it just suffers from such a lack of meaningful things to do. Uh, I think it's interesting that, like, it's it shows that that type of thing is now possible. And, you know, I would have loved to see that type of gameplay in, like, Destiny. That's right. kind of what I thought Destiny was going to be. It was going to be like a Halo, No Man's Sky hybrid. You know, so it'll be interesting to see if anyone kind of takes uh, Hello Games concept and runs with it and kind of brings it into something that's a little bit tighter gameplay-wise. And, and who, know, who knows? No Man's Sky might develop into something better over time. They might yeah. add things to it to just yeah. create more of a sustainable... Yeah, and to their credit, they've been updating it. Because even though (laughs) I sold the game (laughs) several weeks ago now, um, even though I sold it, you know, it still pops up the new update files. So, like, they've been, you know, regularly updating the game. So I think they're trying to address a lot of, like, the technical issues and everything else. But, um, yeah, it's it's just kind of like a what could have been sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Who, Who knows, you know, who's kind of fault it is, whether it's the developer or the hype that was kind of unfairly placed on it. But, yeah, that was one of those that we followed, I think, all intently for years and years and years, and when it finally came out, it just kind of landed with a thud. If nothing else, they, there's the potential for them to sell their technology that they've produced for the game. Yeah, and, yeah. uh, like, potentially could influence, like, future gaming. Yeah, yeah so... Um, uh, that... It's a perfect segue. Why did you sell that game, Jason? So I sold it because I bought Deus Ex Mankind Divided, which I'm happy to report is a great game. So if you like Deus Ex, if you like the kind of cyberpunky, you know, um, make your decisions and play it the way you want type game, happy to report that Mankind Divided so far, and I'm about maybe 15 hours in or so, but I'm really taking my time with it. Um, it's living up to that. You know, I, my introduction to the series was years ago. I played the original Deus Ex before I was really like into that type of game. So to me, it was very kind of like hard to get into because there was just so much freedom or at the time was so much freedom compared to like Spyro the Dragon or, you know, something like that. Um, but you know, I enjoyed the aesthetic of it. I thought it was really cool. And then the first one I really got into when I was, you know, knew that I was into that type of game was, um, the rebooted like prequel series, which was uh, Human Revolution, which I loved. Still one of my favorite games of last gen. And uh, this one, so far, it seems like they learned from a lot of the mistakes of that first game, and they've only made it better. So really enjoying the gameplay thus far, and that's kind of been my happy, um, happy, not surprised, because I figured it would be a good game, but like kind of my, okay, this one game kind of let me down, but here's this other one that I'm going to be spending a lot of time with, so... Right. Definitely check it out. Uh, no, I definitely want to borrow that from you whenever you're done with it. Have it on Xbox One. Well, never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I'll pay for it then. <laughs> yep, uh, that's it for the game. You know, what? no, I'm gonna buy an Xbox One just so I can borrow it. There you go. <laughs> so, without further ado, topic. I think that brings us into our main topic for today, or main topics, I should say. Um. I don't know, Matt or Eric, does one of you want to oh, address the plot or the first topic? All right. Alien? The first movie we are talking about is Alien, which follows the crew of the Nostromo, a deep space freighter, on its 
journey back, uh, the crew is woken up from hypersleep to respond to a beacon that is picked up, and they are uh, not very happy about it, but they go to respond, check it out, find an alien life there that they are not expecting. They bring it back on board through a few breaches of protocol, and the ensuing horror wipes out all crew, but... Distract and giggle. I'm sorry. I'm laughing because you said hypersleep. That's it. Hypersleep horror. I'm sorry. That's what got me. Hypersleep horror. I see. Hypersleep is what they call it in the movie. Stasis. No, they call it hypersleep in the first one. I thought. Spoiler alert! In this sci-fi film, man's obsession with progress and technology kills almost everyone. What? <laughs> I mean, that's that's the base plot of this movie. Like that—that's what—that's what drives this to be. You know, did, uh, did he finish uh, the synapses? No, synapses. I was just like a short synopsis. Why, like, why don't we start that whole thing that was, over again? <laughs> okay, okay. I always say that was our pit stop from uh, Notes McGee. Huh. Notes right. McGee. <laughs> <laughs> Go. After the alien life is brought on board, uh, it comes to light that the company that they work for actually knew that someone something was there, and wanted them to bring it back to Earth to be studied. But the alien has a more hostile nature and ends up killing all but one crew member. So, it is a fantastic horror film that is definitely worth a watch. And if you haven't seen it, honestly, well, to you be fair, shouldn't be. Two crew members, right? The cat. That, that's true. The cat, the right? Cat. This is 2016. Cats are people. Like <laughs> Cats are people. They get all the respect, and they still scare the shit out of everyone. Yeah. <laughs> Uh man. No, you know, I'm glad I'm I don't know if it was just like a misnomer, but I'm glad you called it like a horror film. I thought the most significant thing about about Alien was that it nails sci-fi and nails horror. Yes. Like you watch it and and either one is a great horror film, is a great sci-fi film. It doesn't half-ass either of them. It doesn't just sort of dabble in either one of them. It just destroys both genres. Well, and that's why even with some of the previous podcasts we did, like, you know, Event Horizon, the whole Event Horizon podcast was us comparing it to Alien and saying, you know, okay, this is obviously the superior film because Alien kind of set the template. You know, it it, it perfected it to yeah. the point where anything that came after is, you know, I want to say an imitation because there's been a lot that's been done, you know, that I, I think is worthy on its own or of its own merit, but, like, Wow, you know, it, mm -hmm. you see that. It doesn't matter when you see Alien. You see Alien before you see all these other films that are kind of like imitators in some way, or if you see it after. That that can be trying at times. Okay, so a few years ago, someone introduced me to this idea, and, and it's it's like Treasure Island Syndrome is what they like they called it. But it, it, people go back and they read a book like Treasure Island, and they laugh because the pirates have peg legs and eye patches and all these, you know, parrots on their shoulders. But that book did it so well 
that was the first book that did all these things, and it made it the standard for pirate mm. stories. And so you go back and you read it, and it seems cheesy. Now, I, I think at the same time as, yes, Alien casts the mold, it, it sometimes people don't realize that. And so they go, hey, look, immediately the film starts out, and they're waking up from their cryo sleep. And they're like, oh, how silly. What a, what a silly, you know, sci-fi, thing, yeah. thing. But they did it, and they made it cool, and they integrated it into separate parts of the film and into the suspense in the film. So it became this huge sci-fi, uh, you know, like thing that they did over and over again. Yeah. They still do it. Yeah. yeah, I would hope that, you know, knowledge of Alien is kind of become more ubiquitous now, where if someone is sitting down for a viewing of Alien... They know, okay. It, it, it's weird. I don't know if you guys felt the same way, but whenever I approach these movies, and really like any of this classic sci-fi, it, it is. It's so ubiquitous that you almost have a certain reverence towards it. Oh, yeah. It. Like, I watch Alien, and I'm not just like, oh, I'm going to throw Alien on. It's like... It's an event. You can't see me, but I'm doing like a very reverent hand gesture. <laughs> okay. Gotta, I'm going to shut all the lights. Now. Close yeah. the blinds in the house. <laughs> make sure that everything's I'll clear. I'll cancel all my appointments <laughs> because I'm watching Alien. But but it really does because there, there's a certain uh, gravitas involved yeah. with you know the film because you realize how important not only it, it, it's been to science fiction and horror, but just film in general. It's such a, a monumental film, and it's widely regarded as one of the greatest films. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's definitely, it, it set the mold in more ways than one. And, you know, it's funny, it's one of those movies that are definitely dated to the time period. of You know, the, the late 70s, early 80s, that's what a sci-fi movie would look like. But to this day, it still holds up. Like you enjoy watching it. There's there's the... something about it that I was I was kind of realizing the last time I watched it, which I've I've seen Aliens so many times, I just I never like realized before. It gives it this this attainable feeling to it. <clears throat> like having having all the technology, I always thought it was the funniest thing that they were on. They were using these like CRT monitors and everything, and it's like. Oh, watching it now, everything is flat screen. Everything is so, like, you're shooting for the thinnest, like, smallest product you can possibly make. And, and like, it seems like you're going a step backwards in the future, but it also makes it feel attainable. It makes it feel real. And I don't know if it's just because we're all 20-somethings and we actually grew up with CRT monitors and things like that, but it, it feels like... It makes it feel grounded and real. Well, that's one of the things that Ridley Scott's production design was really good at. And I know the number one person who hates Ridley Scott, Ridley Scott's biggest hater, is not here tonight. <laughs> His nemesis. His nemesis, <laughs> Ben Young, is not here tonight. And I know he'll listen to this and is just going to just be, you know, his fists are going to just be balled on his rocking chair that I imagine Ben sits in with a cigar or something or with his brandy snifter. However... His, his clove cigarettes. <laughs> his clove. <laughs> However, we love Ben. However, that's one of the things that I think really I just love. And it, you can even look to Blade Runner for it too, which I'm sure we'll do oh, yeah. at some point. But just this vision of this tactile, dirty, lived-in future. Nothing is clean. Nothing is, you know, 
it's just so rugged and you know what I mean it's yeah. lots of metal grading and you know these really strange like um, functional like contours to everything on the chip everything is used and usable there's nothing on it that's you know um, for I don't know there's nothing fancy there's nothing that's just you know some sort of aesthetic choice like everything is you know there for a purpose which I think is great and it, like you said it, it makes it feel like it's attainable it makes it feel like it's a real thing it's a real place mm -hmm. that kind of helps set the the tone even right away I mean that's one of the first shots in the movie when they show the interior of the ship you know mm -hmm. it's like oh okay wow and I feel along the same vein I love the fact that one of the earliest things you hear the crew talk about is the engineers asking for more cut of the bonus like it's immediately like you barely understand anything about this universe and there are crew members being like hey we don't feel like we're getting a fair cut of this and they're like arguing with the captain about getting more pay which is such a universal theme that i feel it grounds it more it mm -hmm. makes it feel like the same struggles that we have just with a higher technology level yeah that's so essential that's that's why it's along the same theme because you're in space we can see that we can hear it there's an alien there's all this stuff if you're not pulling us into this if you're not building the bridge the viewer isn't going to feel like they're invested in this film they're going to feel like they're thinking about some abstract situation you need them to go oh yeah i wish i made more money too Oh, now you're dead? You know, like, you need that kind of surprise. You have to, like, lure them into... Okay, sort of that's not a jump film. that you necessarily... <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's part of why uh, Event Horizon just didn't quite connect as well. Like, there there are a lot of elements that are, that are very similar, uh, like the technology and, I don't know, there's, there's so much that, that correlates between the two movies. But that connection isn't built quite like the writing in this is just phenomenal. And it, it, like you said, it right off the bat makes you feel like you're, you could be on that ship. The technology feels relatable, even though it's supposed to be in the future. Like the, the positions they're in, the social constructs, everything feels the same. And they, they put you in that spot. And that's like part of the connection with the horror is that like you feel like you could be in their shoes? Yeah, they they feel like a bunch of working class people, <clears throat> which is what they are. Which is another reason it's commented on. You know, pretty much any uh, critique or like you know academic style discussion of Alien and its themes will hit on that. That these are all kind of your everyman characters. They're blue collar workers. They're not you know people that are of like an elevated social position or anything else like that. You know, these are people that are, you know, they're breaking down rocks or they're working in the mines. You know, they're, they're doing that type of thing. They're, you know, not necessarily like construction workers, but they're working people. You know, they're, yeah. they're working with their hands or they have a particular skill set that, you know, kind of sets them apart in what they're doing. But they're not um, in whatever hierarchy there exists at this point in time in their universe. They're not on the top rung. You know, they're, they're just kind of scraping by doing what they do. Which, to Eric's point, makes it relatable. It builds that bridge. I kind of mm -hmm. like that. That it instantly makes it feel like a real place. Which yeah. is most. I think that's most of the battle in any type of science fiction or horror or anything. You want to relate to the characters. If you don't have that, 
you know, it's an exercise in futility at that point. And, and a huge element of that is just sticking with archetypal characters. And I don't mean uh, they have to be like hero, villain, that sort of archetype. Uh, I mean archetypal roles. Uh, don't get lost in the minutiae, which they didn't do. They didn't go, oh, I'm the captain and I do this and these are my duties and this is that. This is the captain. This is the engineer. This is the science officer. Mm. It sounds like silly terms, but if you get too far removed from those things that we can relate to, those jobs that we can relate to in our roles in our lives, then then that's when you lose your viewer. That's when they don't relate to the film. That's so, that's one of my biggest like mm. writing. My biggest writing pet peeves is when when they use too much exposition and they just like through dialogue, say things that they don't need to say for any reason. Like, this this, this crew knows each other. They don't need to establish their boundaries as crew members to each other. There's no reason they'd be talking about this. They just play their role. Yeah, they right show, off the bat. show yeah. don't tell. Yeah. Exactly. You understand their roles and their personalities through interaction. They never explain anything to you. Mm -hmm. They... There's very little exposition. Like one or once or twice, they like mention the captain or like make some joke about like the captain going to like check out mother, like the computer system. But other than that, there's really little to no exposition in the whole movie. They might mention like one quarantine thing, which is mm -hmm. just an explanation of I'm not supposed to do this because of quarantine. Like you guys know this. Yeah. Like so that's a pretty fair amount of exposition and pretty necessary for a situation. Yeah. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about about just Alien itself. It, it's kind of an ambitious thing to try to talk about both of these movies in yeah. one podcast. Yeah, I don't know but this one. but two, two of the things that I think are really important <laughs> to touch on and we may maybe kind of talk about before we transition into talking about Aliens with an S. Um, the introduction of Ripley's character or... Uh, kind of the meat of that in my opinion a strong female lead character in that point in time in that type of film i think that's something we can kind of discuss here oh, and then mm -hmm. the second thing is the alien itself so like just anything anyone wants to throw out in terms of the design um the way it's used uh you know the, the techniques that the director kind of uses to bring the you know the uh, alien out or not use it or you know what i mean like that's kind of the two big takeaways i mean we can talk about the set design and you know the shots and everything else like that and i think we probably will when we're comparing the films but those would be the other two like big takeaways for me that i think are always things that are brought up is the alien how it is and isn't used and then also ripley as a character so what do you guys think well oh, no no you go ahead well uh as we may have mentioned before um as a similar theme in, in, in films that we, that we enjoy, series that we enjoy, what's part of the beauty of this is that the alien is not on screen a lot. Uh, Mark, I think, just recently said to me, the, the, the best moments in horror film or in sci-fi where it's really trying your imagination are when they just let you kind of fill in the blanks. Because your imagination can do more terrifying things, more amazing things than any special effects can do, than any practical effects can do. So if they, like my favorite scene in the movie is when the, when the first character, I believe he's the, the first character to be killed by the actual alien after it's burst out of Kane's body. 
uh, that engineer character who's killed, and it show it doesn't show him being killed. It shows the cat's face, and you just sort of see a, a flash of lights happen in in you know in the reflection of the cat's eyes, and just you get this primordial sense of like something vicious and and savage happening, and you make up the most terrifying thing. That, that could possibly happen in that scene. Yeah. And that's the beauty of this film. There's there's no real alien in this film. There's just shots of, of a section of its face, a section of its body, its silhouette against the wall, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, that sort of thing. And then they very quickly start to, like, bottleneck it into, like, the vents and mm-hmm. stuff. All of the access little corridors, the tiny little compartments that create fear in itself because you get that claustrophobia like element mixed in and it just oh it lends itself so well to that horror genre Mm -hmm. because it creates an environment that is restrictive and terrifying on its own and then you have something that can move way faster and is way more deadly in that space so it's the crew trying to do their best to prove that they are superior. They can do this. They can coordinate off. They can figure this out. And every time someone goes into that vent, they're dead. Yeah. And it's just watching them one by one think they can do this. Think they're so ready and just are running and terrified and screaming by the end. Yeah. And, and a lot, I think, lends to... Um, the creature design, which was the uh, H.R. Giger, you know, um, kind of biomechanical, you know, yeah. design of the xenomorph that mm-hmm. was based on, you know, his artwork, which really cool, disturbing stuff if you oh, ever yeah. look into it, because he's done a lot of like album covers, and you know, before he, he passed away, like he just did so much cool work, and it's just such a distinct style, like no one really created stuff like that. Yeah, but just. It's so menacing and just disturbing. Even now, I mean, years and years later, it's you. You, you see those creatures in you know a still image uh, of you know any anything that has kind of sprung up around the alien universe, and it's just you know it's iconic. I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's it's it's so elegant in how messed up it is, and it's just really really cool that yeah the the creature isn't in the film for very long but when it is it's still like palpable every time it's in frame it's still like you know you you might not anymore you're watching the the film for the 15th time you're not going to jump or be like oh but it's still like unsettling yeah it's unsettling (laughs) even the 20th time you know yeah so um did did you guys have anything um no so that that would be the last thing then before we transition to aliens would be uh, just the emergence of Ripley as a strong oh yeah female character here's this you know woman who kind of shows that she's the smartest most resourceful person on this particular ship and she survives you know she handles the situation does what she has to do um i think that's really cool and i i, I like the way that kind of the series even with some of the later installments where they weren't necessarily up to the quality standard of i think the first two they still kept that theme of Ripley being kind of the, the guiding, like the central force of the series, but also being a kind of strong, independent character. I The reason I like the character Ripley so much is she's adaptable. 
she's constantly as she's going along she learns new things i mean i mean we'll get into it in the movie aliens but she learns how to do something and then she yeah. applies it to basically her survival and not just hers but if she can help other people as well um that was one of the things I always liked the most. And it's just the way that she goes about doing things. Like, you can have, like, this awesome action fight scene between, you know, your main character and your villain or alien or whatever. But the way she has to survive and kill off, you know, the alien is very inventive, I think, at the time. Yeah. Now, yeah. It, now it's a trope in sci-fi. <laughs> Throw them out the damn airlock. Yeah. But th- <laughs> think about it, at the time, that was... Well, that, that was a cool thing, too, that uh, I've seen, you know, some different criticisms kind of point out that, like, in the end, they don't even kill the thing. Like, they don't kill it. Like, with the lore, like, it's not, like, breathing air. Like, it's probably still alive floating in space somewhere. Well, it's the, it, it the goes perfect in, organism, you know? It goes in front of the engines. So I thought the idea was that it got torched by the engines because she, like, fires yes, them off. you're right. That's oh, true. does it? Yeah. It floats in front of the engine and she hits it and it like kicks like the engine kicks up and like there's like a screeching sound and stuff. No, I, you know I'm with you, but I think what what Jason's like getting at, and this is something that you and I discussed after watching the film, is that the beauty of the the resolution of that film is that it's not even this it's not this like powerful resolution. She's terrified and barely able yeah. to suck that thing out of the airlock. The way that she. Because it's so weird when you watch in a film when a character's like, oh, I'm just this average person, and now I can grab a gun and just, like, you know, I'm not terrified at all. I can operate this. I can do all this. She's in shock, as any normal person would be. She's terrified. She can't even look at the alien as she blows it out the airlock. She has, she's just, like, frozen in fear she could have killed it in a you know a thousand easier ways than any other sci-fi or horror film, but she does it. It's slow. She has to plot it out. She has to prepare herself to do it. It really makes yeah. you feel like this is a real. And scenario. that's really it. I forgot. We totally talked about that. The fact that yeah, you see her like she's looking at it, and it starts to come towards her, and she just looks away, and you just see her taking these deep, slow breaths, like she's trying to prevent herself from hyperventilating, and then. Or freezing, or just freezing and not being able to do anything at and all. Then, and then she, like, hears or feels the alien right next to her, and then she hits the button. Like, she knew she couldn't watch it walk up to her. Yeah, or it's she like probably those... wouldn't have done anything, yeah. <sighs> mm. It was such a well-done act. So good. And I love the fact that she's such a reluctant hero. Yeah. She tries to do the right thing a couple of times. Like, when she says, no, these are the proper quarantine... You protocols. can't get on the you ship. You cannot get on the ship. And everyone's like, but emotions. And, and she's like, like no. <laughs> no, they're in place for a reason. Like, <laughs> this is very unsafe. And obviously, you know, it's opened yeah. up because that was the intention. So the androids programmed with it. But That's one of the few times that I feel like the don't go in that room syndrome actually works. Like, it doesn't feel shitty and forced. It's like... Our friend is in trouble. We're trying to get him on the ship and help him. Not like, I'm just going to wander into this dangerous, dark yes. room by myself for no reason. Like, it, it actually, it's a situation that's man-made, but doesn't feel forced and shitty. 
Yeah, because it's a choice. Yeah. You know, they're making a choice, but to a, like, a greater end. Like, you can understand in that situation, like, well, sure, you want to follow the protocols, you want to be logical about it, but what would everyone do, you know? Yeah. You're going to let your friend on board because you're, you know, you want to help him. Yeah. And everyone dies. It's perfect. It's perfect. <laughs> Except for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we kind of hit the right resolution of one, so we should probably move on to mm. aliens. Yeah, with an S. We finished this one time. Less. It's war. Oh, <laughs> that's the tagline. tagline. It is, which is which is such a good transition. Huge. Which that's is such a huge transition because in one, it's no one can hear you. Uh, in space, no one can hear you scream. Yeah, and I then no one can hear you scream in space. It's not. I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but all right. So just, that, in space, no one can hear you scream. Those, and then in those taglines right there. Yeah. If nothing else, will give you an idea of how different the movies are in the feel, the direction, everything. It's probably more of a studio reaction to. Uh, wow, this movie did okay. <laughs> Let's up the budget and. Let's monetize. So we all agreed that Aliens was an afterthought. Is that is that essentially what we're getting at here? Uh, it was made. Yeah, what, I would six, definitely think so. Six years later. Yeah. Funny enough, of all of the reading I've done on the the film series, you know, the uh -huh. franchise as a whole, I actually don't recall having ever read anything about where you know like Ridley Scott was in that whole process or like what the thought was that led to Aliens. I don't know if well, it was an afterthought or not. I, I know, I mean, I, I couldn't imagine <coughs> it was planned. No. You know, I mean, I, Ridley I, Scott didn't write Aliens. No. So like the fact that like he wrote and directed the first one or at least, you know, co-wrote and directed the first one. The fact that he was not involved in the writing of the second, I think says a lot to the intention and plot of it. Well, let me give us a quick uh, synopsis here and uh, before we pick it back up. So, uh, Alien starts out, it's uh, 57 years later. Uh, Ripley is, uh, she's discovered in her cryostasis with her cat and uh, they bring her out of it, and she goes through uh, a lot of stuff. Oh God! <laughs> uh, Synopsizing gets another one. No, I just lost, <laughs> I lost my uh, my words. I don't remember my words. Anyways, uh, she has to be debriefed essentially by uh, the company that they uh, that that original ship worked for. Um, it's the Wayland Yutani Corporation. Um, Which is named in Aliens. Yes. Fact, but it's it sticks. Around. It sticks around. You got you got to build it. Um, so fifty-seven years later, and she goes through all this process, and they basically they they don't seem like they believe her. They're really skeptical about her whole story of what happened. Um, the fact that she admits to you know blowing up the ship when that's an expensive thing. So, but they kind of just stick the pin in it, you know, and say, all right, what's done is done. They move on, and she's supposed to go start her new life somehow. Uh, conveniently enough, she finds out that that planet, what is it, LV-426, 
426 that they originally found the xenomorph on. There's an you know existing colony there now, and she has to go back there as an advisor role for all these colonial marines to see what's going on. So they get there. And I got to say that the cast of marines they are just fantastic. Oh, I can so watch that movie good. all day. Um, we'll get into that later. But uh, they get there they. They can't find any colonists. There's no bodies. Just the place is tore up. And eventually they find two of the uh, the face huggers. Mm-hmm. It's the official turtle. They find two of them. Um, well, there are two living still. ones. Yeah. yeah, there's two living ones, one dead one. Um, and they find one little girl, Newt. Newt. Um, Newt. She's been surviving, Most hiding good. from the uh, xenomorphs in the, uh, the ventilation system and whatnot. So they decide to go over to that fusion-powered, like, atmosphere converter, terraforming plant. Uh, I'm just That's the whole official title. That's the whole official title. <laughs> Future science. <laughs> and they go there, and lo and behold, they find all of the colonists uh, who have been, you know, impregnated by the facehuggers to make more xenomorphs. And that's when they find out the real danger that they're in, uh... They lose a couple marines, but they get out. They go back to the living facility on the colony. Um, at that point, now all of the uh, xenomorphs know they're there. And there's a lot of them. Show up. Crew members start dropping off. But ultimately, in good Ripley fashion, she finds a way to get off both. Not just her this time. She successfully saves Newt. And uh, Michael Bain, I don't remember his name of his character. And Higgins? half of Bishop. Bishop. And half of Bishop, yeah. that's right. Yeah. <laughs> was it Higgins? I think it was Higgins, yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, he does yeah. survive. So, <laughs> I think that's a sufficient enough synopsis for now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You forgot, to, you forgot to say, Game over, man. Game over, man. <laughs> that's like, that's how you, like, right. that's how you, I, I, could, I, could, I could literally okay. do an entire podcast episode <laughs> on just... <laughs> just Bill Paxton. Yeah. But can we can we start out by talking about how how just inundated all sci-fi games, movies, everything are with the the lines spoken in this movie? Yes. Space Marines, like whether you be a pilot, just like an on the ground marine, everything, they've all been influenced in some way. Rewatching it, it's almost disgusting how many lines are taken verbatim and used in like starcraft or just other like you know riding the pipe five by five like well, just so many like set things that pilots say in sci-fi movies what, what, what did i mention to you when we uh we, we watched it i said go play combat evolved halo combat evolved and then watch this movie or vice versa the parallels are Disgusting. It's the ship yeah. design. The ship design. The, the, the pillar of autumn. Yeah. And the yeah. Nostromo. I mean, it's the same shape. Yeah. You know the the pelicans, the, the drop ships. Oh yeah, the pelicans are, are the, the drop same. ships are the same. You know, the, there's there, there's a lot of influence, and I think that's that's interesting. You go back and you look at you know like Alien and how influential we've said that's been to you know certain aspects, whereas I feel like Aliens. 
was the more influential to a lot of the media that we consume because it's a little bit more approachable yeah. in that yeah. sense. Yeah. You know, you, you it's hard to really translate that sense of kind of like terror that Alien, you mm-hmm. know, is so good at. And I think, you know, in certain mediums now, like, you know, in like games, you've got like a Dead Space, like Dead Space 1 in my opinion. You've got like Alien Isolation in the game, which... Both of which I think do a great job of kind of nailing that sort of sense of terror that the first Alien had. Oh. But it, a lot more games I think go after that, um, you know, the Space Marine mm-hmm. sort yeah. of vibe. The campy, combative, like it works really well for, and just an open environment, kind of. Okay, you know, I've just I have control of a bunch of Space Marines, so these are like the random jargon that they would say. Yeah. No, it's it's just so influential. Like this, this series sets such a precedence on so many levels. Like you said, like on the horror level, they set certain like, oh my god, like this is amazing sci-fi. This is amazing horror. Now it's this is amazing design, world design, and world building and action like building. And that's just yeah, there are definitely highlights to both movies. Well, so that's the thing. Like just trying to. Still, like, stick with Aliens, because we just did a, a recent, really recent viewing. And a lot of things that I never picked up before, I kind of picked up on this viewing. I've seen Alien a ton, but I've only seen Aliens a handful of times. So I haven't given it kind of its due process, like... It's for me. Yeah, so, like, for me, I was picking up a lot of things. And one of the things that I never got before that I got on this viewing and subsequently kind of like delving into some of the critiques on it and everything else, Aliens always gets lampooned for being this like, you know, yeah, they're, the Marines are going in there, they're just shooting shit and blowing shit up and everything else. It's not at all. It's totally a movie about how ineffectual the macho, bravado, we're going to go in, yeah. kick ass, take names thing is because they don't mm-hmm. succeed at all. Yeah. <laughs> they get decimated. And that, I think that's what James Cameron was going for. So I got to respect that on the surface, yeah, you know, we all say it. I was one of the people that said that too. Oh, aliens, yeah, it's just, you know, taking this concept and kind of making it bigger, brasher, or whatever. They're just going for more and more and more. But really, there's a lot of interesting commentary that I think James Cameron's trying to make um, about, you know, the world and, and different thematic things he's doing, but also... You know, it's not glorifying this type of thing. You know, the Space Marines in the beginning, they're all, you know, macho and gung-ho. And, yeah, let's kick some ass. And, you know, oh, this is going to be nothing. We're on a bug hunt. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, when they actually get there, and I I was reading an article. um, It was, uh, you know, just kind of saying, like, well, the more they get into this and they kind of, um, they, they see more and more elements that are corroborating Ripley's story that no one believed, right. the more spooked they get to the point where by the time they see the face huggers in the tubes, you know, and the one that's alive, like they're scared, like legitimately scared. And they're, you know, their soldiers are trained. They're going to do what they're came there to do to the best of their ability, but they're no longer, yeah, man, rah, rah, you know, so that was kind of an interesting shift that I didn't ever really pick up on until, you know, maybe the last viewing or two, um, or wasn't able to really dissect it to the level it, it should have been. Um, 
So, I don't know, what do you guys think about that? I, I think it's great that they did what they did with it. I mean, they, they could have just made Alien and then just been like, well, now it really is just Aliens where we added more of them and it's the same plot line. You can't just go, this was comfortable, this was successful, let's revisit it. You have to move forward, and I really admire uh, everyone that made this film for wanting to move forward, for saying, it sucks, we're losing a lot of the horror element uh, uh, from this, and we're moving in more of an action realm, like action sci-fi instead of action or, uh, sci-fi horror, but they could just remake the same film. Like, they could have, but it wouldn't have necessarily been, you know, appealing. I mean... I think that they brought enough of the elements from Alien into Aliens oh, yeah. to justify it. Mm -hmm, it, it didn't mm -hmm. feel too out of place. No. Um, if you, you never really see the full-on xenomorphs. You're always getting the silhouette still mm -hmm. in, the, in, the, in the ventilation shafts whenever you're seeing them. Or a lot of times, like, oh, they're coming and you're just seeing them. It's real quick shots. Or mm -hmm. you're seeing, like... Except for uh, the queen. On that, yeah. yeah, that's true. But, I mean, that's a very climactic moment. That's fine, but... You're seeing them on like that radar, yeah, life detector things yeah. on a radar, <laughs> which, which is brilliant. I, I thought that was yeah. very effective. Yeah, the fact that they took that element from the first, where they were like, "Hey, we rigged up this thing to kind of give an idea of where it is." Yeah. Now this is like an actual marine technology thing used that senses it, mm -hmm. so it's more accurate and it's even more terrifying because they're being surrounded. By yeah. It. yeah. The I think the most you see them is when, which was a really cool moment in my eyes. <clears throat> The first time that Ripley really runs into uh, the Queen, and she's got she she has the flamethrower, and she's aiming it right at the eggs. And she kind of like aims it off to the side, bursts a few shots, then aims it back at the eggs, and you see the the like xenomorphs kind of creeping in, and the Queen's like, whoa, <laughs> and they just back off. <laughs> That's the most you see of them, and it's. I love that moment though. It's really cool, and it kind of adds to their intelligence and, and their like coordination. Yeah. yeah. And I never really thought of it until you said that. But those blips on the radar are more terrifying than seeing. So many of them. It's just like <laughs> so many of them. Yeah. Swarming towards and them. And again, horrible. when I feel like in this movie they also carried over the fact that you have these alien this alien presence that is terrifying and so powerful. But they're not the antagonist. The antagonist is the greedy corporation. Yep. <laughs> it's it's Paul Reiser trying to bring back a live specimen and get it through customs. That is what totally screws over the party. Yeah, they really play up how how like big and bad. And there's little moments, even when you're entrenched and like they're landing on this terrifying planet and they're Okay, so like that scene where the, the little tank vehicle that they drive into the compound mm -hmm. is going in, it's scary. It's gray, and it's they're going into the heart of you know darkness here and everything. But then the little like turret on the top of it folds down to perfectly fit into Ooh, this installation. You're like, moment. and you feel this ever presence of the corporation and the military are like joined together. You know, you mm -hmm. you really feel like they're this imposing thing throughout the whole film. I just thought that was such a neat touch. It's like you could have easily just built that doorway to be a little bit bigger. 
Yeah, so it could fit in with it. But no, they set it up so that the turret has to roll back to like, the back side of the tank. Like the military so knows, they, this is the Those, size of a standard doorway. Yeah, and you're going to fit our vehicle in. That, that's yeah. the minutia that I like. Oh, right there. Yeah. well, and that's what the I, I feel like this being the second film, like you can create one film that has this well-developed world, which Ridley Scott did, and you know everyone involved with Alien did with that first film. But the second film is really where they cement that and they expand it and they create, you know, the the, the look of um, not not so much the look I guess or the aesthetic, but like they create the the look of like, okay, here's how all this stuff kind of corresponds. You know, you've got now the you see the inside of the military ship and it's still very functional and similar to like what the Nostromo looked like mm-hmm. in certain ways, but in certain ways it's different. You have the um, the colony uh, itself is, you know, it has that same type of, like, workmanlike, lived-in sort of feel. They do that so well. Um, the terraforming facility is just all these industrial <laughs> corridors and pipes. and But then the way they kind of work that in with the design of, like, the, uh, you know, they say, like, the secretions or whatever the xenomorphs are making, them kind of making their hive. You know, it's just really cool just the way that, that everything was designed. And one of the things that Aliens kind of gets a lot of shit for, which, you know, I was maybe always one of those people that kind of saw the criticism in it, but then after rewatching it recently, I don't really see it as much. Granted, I, I watched a high-def cut for the first time, mm-hmm. whereas I was always watching DVD cuts, you know, just kind of standard-def stuff. Um, I think it holds up really well, the look of it. You know, it's got that sort of 80s, very kind of... Um, blue sort of tint, brightly lit sort of vibe um, in a lot of the more open scenes. You know, there's a, there's some special effects stuff that doesn't really hold up as well with, like, you know, some of the ships and the blue screen. <coughs> yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, like, I think the shots are all really effective. They work well with, like, the, you know, claustrophobic sort of vibe in a lot of those corridors and the, the tight areas. They're doing different things with them than they did in Alien. Mm-hmm. But um, I think, you know, I personally really like James Cameron as a director. I've liked most of what he's put out. And I think he hit a really good stride there where he's not as much of a visual, in some ways a visual visionary like Ridley Scott. But he can still set a scene and, and he still knows what he wants to, mm-hmm. to do or knows how he yeah, wants right. to get it across. He if that up, makes any yeah. sense. That's a really no, convoluted does, paragraph. Yeah. But, no, it makes sense. It's yeah. like he finds a different way to set up that suspense. Like the idea that the Marines have to pass in all of their magazines and so it like castrates them in their like sense of machismo. But like the way Even he further. has them all like looking at each other and freaking out and like having this look of why why would you do that? Like you're taking away our you know our way of defending ourselves. And, like, he sets that suspense just through the interactions and, like, the, the, the badass chick who, like, has, like, a couple of magazines hidden and, like, passes one over so that they're not totally <laughs> screwed. Picks with the pump-action shotgun that he pulls out of his exactly. backpack or whatever. But, like, the way, they, the way he sets that same drama up of, we're in there, we're ready. Oh, wait, what? We, we can't defend ourselves properly? And, like, just their reactions of immediately feeling awkward. And he sets that up well with the shots, with the... Yeah. The interactions, it's so good. 
Does anyone have anything else to add about aliens before we start comparing the two? Well, let's just talk about how perfectly Paul Reiser plays uh, just that corporate jackass. <laughs> Dude, sold we're, me on it. We're talking about uh, aliens, <laughs> not mad about you. <laughs> I mean, I thought it was just a continuation. <laughs> I thought mad about you. Yeah, I thought he actually survived because they don't actually show him dying. <laughs> so I thought he just survived, went back. Right. Yeah. Back to Earth, and they just never, like, he doesn't talk about his past. Yeah. <laughs> Is that, was that Helen Hunt who was in? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah no, I I think all the roles in Aliens were great. I love Burke's character. Like, he is, he's, he, he's really, like, slimy and kind of swarmy, and, like, you see that later in the movie. But in the beginning, like, you, you, you like him, you know? You yeah, like, he's yeah. just a regular 80s yeah. good guy. He, he's a likable character up until... You know, his kind of true motives come out when they explain that, oh, he really, he sent the colonists to the derelict yeah. to investigate it because ultimately he wanted a cut of, you know, whatever fee they get for the discovery of it. So mm-hmm. really he was pulling some really shady stuff and, you know, had all these ulterior motives. But I think, uh, you know, the performance does a really good job of kind of making you still like the character up until, you know, he... he just goes full bad guy. Right. Even on a rewatch, knowing he's the bad guy, you still like yeah. him at yeah. the beginning. Because he's the only one that believes the story. Yeah. He's the only one that's like, no, I think you're right. I think there might be something <coughs> out there. This could be problematic. We need to look into it. Yeah. He's the only one that seems to care. And it turns out that he cares because he sees profit. But when <laughs> yeah. Paul Reiser says, we need you, you believe it. <laughs> I, I have a question though. So she has she has that nightmare where he comes into the room and talks to her and she's like having a conversation and then all of a sudden the the uh Xenomorph starts yeah. to burst out of her chest. But it, it's him though. Like I don't think he I don't think that was the nightmare. I think that was a nightmare recap of what had mm. actually happened. Yeah. Because immediately after, when she freaks out and wakes up, the nurse who was in the dream appears on the little tiny monitor by her. So you know it's the future because there's an individual monitor in her room. <laughs> <laughs> but like the nurse pops up and she was in the dream and she makes a reference to like something said during the dream. Yeah. Okay. So That's I think I it was like. That. So I felt like it was a that was something that happened. But obviously, the alien didn't actually pop out of her chest. That yeah. was the where the nightmare picks up, and then you see like a, an iteration of that later on too. Yeah, okay. and you know that being said too, with the character, I mean, we picked out Burke, but I, I personally think, yeah, there there is a lot of cheese in the dialogue of you know the space marines, but at the same time. They're all cast really well. Oh, like yeah. it's a great cast. Oh, it, it really yeah. is. No, like, I, everyone's role is great. Like Ripley is returning, um, you know, character is great and and totally like you know gives the film the weight it needs. If if uh, Sigourney Weaver wasn't in Aliens, it wouldn't have. It been wouldn't a good have. Movie. I mean, no, I agree no. completely. So you know, she she definitely is a, a big part of the series' success. I feel like, and then you know, you look at some of the other characters like Michael Bain is just awesome. You know, he was awesome in anything he was ever in. And I was thinking, like, he's such a perfect, like, 80s leading man, like, action, you know, yeah. sort of character. Like, he, he's good. He, he 
he kind of lends a certain like gruffness to whatever he's doing. But in a soft spoken way. Almost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, it, it just works great, you know. And and all the other characters, kind of the, the more minor like Space Marines, I think were great. Uh, Bill Paxton, I mean, phenomenal. Volumes can be written and spoken about. I'm sure they have been. If you notice, I'm pretty sure he plays the same character in this one that he does in Predator Two. A bit of a while for me with Predator Two. I got it. But he, Bill Paxton's in Predator Two, and he basically acts the same way in both movies. Yeah, it's funny. He was in Alien and Predator, mm. and they made Alien vs. Predator. Huh. Was he in that film? Huh? Was he in that film? No. No. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're lost. All right. They're lost. So, does anybody have any things that bothered them about the movies? Like, those one little aspect that drives them nuts on every watch. So, you know what? I'm going to... I'm going to answer your question. I'm going to add something else. My preference for these movies is Alien and always will be. However, I'm not one of those people that's going to sit there and say Aliens is bad because I love Aliens. Aliens is an awesome movie. And now having done a recent rewatch, now I can, you know, say the number of times I've seen Aliens is, you know, four or five instead of, you know whatever it was previously, where it's still not going to be as many as uh, Alien, but I have more of an appreciation for it after the last time I watched it. It's not a bad movie. I was always one of those people that was like, oh, Aliens, come on, man, Alien, you know, that's a great movie. But after yeah. rewatching it, I really don't feel that way the next day. Um, that being said, the one thing that really bothers me, it isn't so much like a line of dialogue or a shot or whatever, it's just the fact that in Aliens... It's the just over overriding sense of like they they almost in a way kind of this may be a debatable topic here, but they almost kind of cheapen the alien to an extent because in the first film, one alien takes out the whole crew without even being seen, you know, uh, barely being seen. It's just like extremely intelligent predator type character, whereas in Aliens, you know, they're left and right just blowing them up they're running down the walls and they're just like brr, 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 like just turning shoot turn shoot and blowing them up yeah so it's like it's it it's less of a like visceral type threat it's it's more like in your face like there's 50 of them rushing at you so that kind of inspires a different type of like terror if you can call it that mm -hmm. it's like wow i'm being swarmed versus there's this one thing it's horrifying picking this off one by one from the shadows. It's like a different type of horror. Yeah. And it's not necessarily like... I, I see why they had to do that. So it's not a criticism at the direction they took it necessarily, but it's just more like that's not really... Like, going into Aliens, if I didn't know anything about the series and I was expecting another kind of like horror, you know, genre-type yeah. movie, you might be a little let down or it might be kind of jarring because all of a sudden now... They've kind of lessened the effect at which you see the right. the no, alien I, and and something. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we don't have to get into it, but like that's something they tried to go back to in Alien Three, which has its yes. pros and cons. But they tried to go back to that. There's one alien, you know, it's picking people off from the shadows. Let's kind of go back to that sort of vibe. And I actually dug that about Alien Three. And I think if you watch the director's cut, um, which is like kind of a longer version with some different scenes like spliced back in, I guess, that were cut. Um, it's actually kind of interesting. 
kind of effective, more of a slower kind of more slow paced, tone balanced type yeah. thing. I guess it's been so long since I've seen it, but I love David Lynch. I need to I need to go back and rewatch it. Well, yeah, so, David Fincher. David Fincher. I, I always, always do that. Do that. <laughs> but I'd love Lynch. to see a David Lynch alien movie. <laughs> you I always do that with Finch and Lynch, Lynch, dude. God damn it. <laughs> as soon as I said that, I just looked at Jason and I was just like... It's coming. Okay. So, <laughs> it's okay. Yep. Mark, Colin, Eric, thoughts? Any, any like, points that, like, stand out in your mind? That, like, you... That drive you a little bit nuts? That's okay. honestly... That was my one. That was, that's my big um, one. Like, I, I agree, everything that Jason said is exactly how I feel about it. Um, I have a love-hate relationship with James Cameron's banter <laughs> in his movies. Um, sometimes it's just like, I don't really think your characters needed to say that. I like the idea of giving the characters life, kind of make it more realistic. Yeah. Like, people banter, that's the thing that happens. Sometimes it just feels a little forced. Yeah. There's um, a difference between, like, not waiting for your time to speak. It's just something that, like, some random person says, and it feeling like you need to fill a void with a random piece of th- banter. This is, like, the opposite of, like, having too much exposition. It's like you're having too much stuff that doesn't really apply. Like, well, you've already established that character. You get what kind of character that you know, character one, is. But. One thing to add just really fast, because I meant to say this earlier, but I, I, that's the perfect part to say it. They filmed the scene where they get out of the, you know, cryostasis or mm-hmm. whatever. They filmed that scene last. That's probably a good idea. So all of that kind of banter and, like, you know, camaraderie is actually real because everything else in the film that they've, like, done and gone through and, you know, they're covered in fake blood and running around in all these tight corridors and, you know, I'm sure it was super hot and everything else. <laughs> they said that that actually brought the actors together. So by the end of the filming process, when they did that first thing, it had been like they were, you know, not to compare it, but like through a tour of duty together. So there actually was that camaraderie. And a lot of that stuff was just, they, that's how they talked to each other, which was kind of funny. But, I mean, I agree with you in terms of the banter, a lot of the banter. Well, you ever get mistaken as a man? <laughs> No? How about you? <laughs> Whatever, that line's golden. That is golden. I love that line of banter. But, that's, I mean... So that's it? There's not a lot of things I want to really critique on Aliens. I mean, if anything I did have, I'm pretty sure you guys have covered it, but... I mean, I, I love that movie. It's it's fantastic. Um, the only thing I, I actually will complain is, I don't know if it's too much of an homage, but throwing the alien out the airlock again... Yeah, I, I, I get tired I, I feel of you. It's again. It was done a more unique the way best to way to do it. it because how else are you going to kill this thing without destroying your ship by stabbing it? Granted, she also did it in an awesome mech suit. Yeah, so really helps. But. Yeah, interestingly enough, they went back to that in Resurrection. Yeah, Alien yeah. Three. They killed it yeah. via. Um, it was like uh, uh, some sort of like. I forget the word exactly, but it got like super heated and then it got cold really fast and then it like shattered. <laughs> yeah. But then uh, in Resurrection, it was like an airlock type, you know, thing again. Um, but yeah, what's uh, what's your thoughts, Eric? Um, in a different sense, uh, the the dialogue again is what bugs me. My favorite thing about Alien 
is the lack of urgency in their dialogue. Uh, when, when the film's setting up, they're not trying to insert suspense. They're not trying to insert uh, tension between characters. It's just slow and relaxed, and it lets, it lets the cinematography set up what is terrifying and isolating about the film. And the characters are just kind of quiet and reserved, and they just they stumble into the situation. And in the second film, in Aliens, I, there's a great contrast between the hilarity and uh, you know banter of the first few scenes, and the silence once they enter the you know once they uh, enter the atmosphere. But it's still it, it it's it's very tropey, and I don't care for it as much as I as I care for the Alien. Dialogue. So you just said something interesting there. It's tropey, but that goes back to the very first thing you said on the podcast. Did it invent that trope? Did it, that yeah, became yeah. tropey? <laughs> you know, it's it's interesting. Yeah. But I, I mean, yeah. So to sum it up for me, on Alien, Aliens, or versus, you know, if people need to do that. I mean, yeah, I enjoy Alien because I just love the way that, like a lot of points you touched on just the way it's shot the way it looks it's so artfully crafted you know it's so artfully put together and james cameron is i don't think he's any less of an auteur than ridley scott is it's just in a different way you know ridley scott i think would go on to make more of these movies that i guess would in some ways be considered kind of like blockbusters like he had like gladiator and you know he, he did some some larger scale films in the 90s and the 2000s and stuff like that. And you know, now he went on to do Prometheus and all that. But largely, you know, these movies were, for the time, I mean, story-wise, they weren't these big, like, this is going to be, you know, this massive blockbuster type thing. They were kind of slower movies where there's a lot going on. There's a lot of yeah. philosophical, you know, like Blade Runner, for example. You know, even take those two movies where if that's all Ridley Scott ever made, his status would have been cemented <laughs> as, you know, this great visionary filmmaker, just because nothing had really been done or, or seen like that to that level. Um, I just, I don't know, I just prefer his style and the way he visually, like Eric said, sets up the tone of the movie or the scene, as opposed to, you know, he does a lot of showing, not telling. Yeah. Yes, and that actually kind of bleeds into my thing that drives me nuts with the movies, which is the fact that I... I prefer Alien above Aliens. That's just always how it was. I love that horror genre, and I love the fact that you feel like every scene has a certain emotion set to it and a certain amount of suspense created. But I feel like in that, it loses an aspect that drives me nuts, and that is the realism of sci-fi. When you have like a scene where there's just a room with chains and waters, just water just dripping down like crazy. <laughs> oh yeah. And the whole scene for the last four times I've watched Alien, I'm always just staring at this, going, "What's the point of this room? Why is there so much water loose on this ship? This <laughs> cannot be good. Like this, this, this is a problem." Why is this a room? Well, and the doors open like it's not shut. There's that's, no that's cord. That's the chain water room. 
<laughs> the chains, so they keep it's all their chains water in water. That's a chemical solvent that they use <laughs> to clean their chains that they don't actually need in space. Yes. Space chains. They have but, space ropes. But that's, and that's yeah, they're tow chains. Where they're and, towing the asteroids. But that's what sets, I feel like, the difference between alien and aliens. Alien is like setting up and it, like, it uses sci-fi as a setting, but it's not purely sci-fi like it's yeah, horror that's a good way to put it because when he's in the room you feel that tension of the dripping and stuff and then he at the last second realizes that he's like getting drips of like saliva from the alien as it's about to catch him and there's such an amazing setup but the room itself drives me nuts yeah. a lot like the self-destruct in alien where it's like okay i'm gonna turn a few things and the second i finish it's venting the core, and you've got 30 seconds to leave the ship, and there's already things like venting and spraying, and and all I could say, like I think I was driving Eric nuts with that. I was like, that's not safe. She didn't have any time to get off the ship safely. It didn't give her an actual countdown. It was like 30 seconds until the ship explodes. Like, no, give her time before you start venting the core. <laughs> yeah, well... Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. That's the difference between the filmmakers, you know. James Cameron is very good with these... He kind of has these broad ideas, you know. He's yeah. painting with a very broad brush. And he's he's really good with that. I don't think he's as uh, visually... And it's debatable. I'm not saying I'm right. But I don't think he's as visually uh, inventive in a lot of ways as Ridley Scott. Or yeah. old Ridley Scott. Yeah, old Ridley Scott. <laughs> I don't think he's as visually inventive, but... You know, he's obviously gone on to make some films where he, he's constantly trying to kind of push the boundaries of technology and, you know, what he's doing, what he's saying with what he has. You know, he's made some, some of, if not the biggest films ever made right. in terms of budget, money made, you know, everything else. So, um, yeah, I, I think he's no less an artist and, and has just as many things to say as, like, a Ridley Scott. Um, but... Yeah, he just he's using it as a, a vehicle. He's, he's using the setting, yeah, you know, more as kind of a vehicle for the story he wants to tell versus the way that Ridley Scott would do it, and that's why there's such a pronounced difference between the two films. And but it doesn't mean one's good and one's bad. And that's his, and that's what I was trying to kind of press upon was the idea that like I love Ridley Scott's interpretation so much more, but like my, my favorite thing about sci-fi is the minutia which is something that I feel James Cameron actually hits a little bit better. I will agree with you there. I, I, I do love it when they take the time to focus on the little things. Um, that's, that's what sets me off, man. I mean, <laughs> I, I still want you know great character development, a great plot, but it's the little things that, that really draw me in. Um, does anyone have anything else to add with this? Or... Uh... We're going to do right. part two, three, and four. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, the, the next time we revisit this, the we're going to... dead horse. And then we're going to start the, uh, the Predator movies. No, uh, no you see, no, the next one is going to be sci-fi cross-sections. Yeah. <laughs> 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 so, um, yeah, no, I think we actually did a pretty decent job of covering two movies in one go. Yeah. Uh, I think we should eventually do three and four. It was ambitious. I you know I wouldn't mind actually doing that eventually. Yeah. Um, That'd be cool. I, I feel like maybe to do that. 20? 
Three, you have to watch the director's cut. You, yeah, because it's a different movie. We will put in there. We will put, yeah. you know, director's cut. Good old David Lyncher. <laughs> so people understand. Um, <laughs> <laughs> real trippy. Lots of lots of dreams. You don't know what's real. <laughs> Just hey, that actually happened. Mark's Mark Scorpion. <laughs> 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 yeah, All right, I'm done. I'm not saying anything. Oh else. god, I'm done. <laughs> Anyways, uh, uh, thanks for listening, guys. <laughs> Sigourney Wiener. <laughs> I'm surprised I've never said that before. <laughs> oh, damn. <laughs> that might be your cold open right there. This is a wiener. Oh, oh shit. Can it just be Sigourney Wiener and then just Mark's laugh? Just yeah. the... <laughs> like the best laugh. Oh, oh God. Sigourney Wiener. <laughs> I didn't say Sigourney's Wiener. <laughs> That would have been better. <laughs> 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 <laughs>